0: For everybody else, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter nine as we continue our series through the book of Luke, called the Compassionate Conqueror. Our passage this morning we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at Luke nine and we're going to be looking at seven through nine, which we uh, we did one through six and a couple weeks ago. Then last week we did ten through seventeen. This week we're going to be looking at verses seven through nine. And then verses 18 through 22, we're going to be looking to them in, in, one, in one message this morning. But you don't need me to tell you, there, there's a lot of important questions that you have to answer in your life. There's a lot of important questions that you'll get asked in life, and there's important questions that really, I mean, are major questions in life, right? Like, you know, are, are you going to go to college? And then if so, what, you know, where do you go to college? And then what major do you take? Because these are big questions because they just set up a lot of other dominoes for your life, and you have, you know, what job you're going to take, and, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, what, who's, you know, you might have a question, you know, about, you know, culture, you know, who's going to win the, the election in 2024, besides what looks like we're all going to lose in 2024, right? Like, there's just this sense of, like, these are bigger questions that were asked. One, about 17 and a half years ago, I got down on one knee and asked Em to marry me, and that was a, that was a bigger question that I've asked, and that was a bigger one for her to answer, and then there's questions that are are big to you, but, you know, maybe not to everyone, you know, I really would like to know what the Steelers' final record is going to be this year, and if we're going to, you know, do anything in the playoffs this year. I, I, I like, you know, I have this question regularly, my brother's six years older than me, and yet he has all of his hair, I mean, he's got a great head of hair, and like, I have that question, just like, why, why him, and why not me, you know, and all these kinds of things, right, that there's arguable, you know, they're, they're less important, but questions that you still care about. But in your life, there's there's a lot of important questions that may come unexpectedly, may come that you're aware of and you can prepare for. But if you think about all the important questions in your life that you have to answer, there is one that is the most important, and it's the one that Jesus is going to ask to his disciples this morning. And it's most important because not only did he ask his disciples on that day, it's a question that we will all have to answer, both with our mouths and with our lives. Our eternity rests on it. But it's not just that our eternity rests on how we answer this question, it it sets up every other other answer to every other question that we will be needing to answer in this life, and that is the question of who is Jesus Christ? And now there's an objective part of that question, there's a sort of, okay, what does history and and scripture reveal about him? So there's an objective part of the answer we must give, but then not just who is Jesus Christ, but that... Who do you say that he is? Basically, who is Jesus to you? There's the objective of who is Jesus as revealed in this book and revealed in history. But then what does your life demonstrate? What does your heart demonstrate that Jesus Christ is to you? This morning, we want to look at the answer to life's most important question. So with that, we're going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. And we're going to jump down to verses 18 through 22. So if you're able, if you could stand as we read. God's word together. Verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all, these, all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And then verses 10 through 17, it's, it's the story we read last week of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men. Verse 18, it picks up. Now it appeared that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Verse 21, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised well you may be seated throughout the book of Luke and we've, we've drawn, drawn pointed this out a few times but throughout the book of Luke the, the, the question is, is is continuing to hang out there of, of who is Jesus Christ and it hasn't been answered directly but the, the question has just been raised after, after certain things happen so at the end of chapter seven after he performs miracles like no other in human history has been able to do and taught with an authority that no one else has ever had, and even offers the forgiveness of sins to one person. The, the question just hangs out like, who is this that even forgives sins? And In chapter 8, he, he calms a storm as, as, as this violent storm is raging, and, and he, with a single word, the storm is, is ceased, and his disciples ask, well, who, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So this question just keeps coming to the surface. It just keeps hanging out there. And now it is time for this question to not just hang out there, but to be answered directly. Now there are some who, as we see, have have been confused by who he is, and some are are gaining clarity as to who he is. And as chapter 9 comes and this, this question is hanging out there, as Herod's asking who this is, as he is now asking his disciples who he is. Now the, the question needs to be answered as, as this question is hanging out there, this time it's not, it's not just coming from the crowd, it's not just coming from Herod, it's not just coming from the disciples, but from Jesus is now turning it on to his disciples and saying, who, who do you say that I am? Do you, do you have clarity as to who I am? I don't, I don't, I'm not really, he asked first, you know, who do, who do some say that I am? But then he turns it on them and says, but that's not good enough for my followers just to be able to say who who some people say I am. this is You need to have clarity. Who do do you say? And this is the most important question one can answer is who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Now, sometimes we we can look back and sort of see sort of what's going on and seeing the miracles and seeing the teaching and say, "How, how could anybody have any confusion as to who Jesus is? But but in, in some ways, we just got to recognize that they didn't have the full canon of Scripture. They didn't know sort of how the, li- how the rest of the life of Jesus would unfold and all he would do. And so at some level, it, it's easy to understand how, how they could be a little confused at not having total clarity as to who Jesus is. But I also want to recognize for us here today, we, we, we can have our theology right. We can know the answer to the question on the test, but we can still be a little confused as to who Jesus is. Because things like trials and just distractions in life and life going unplanned and hurt and disappointments, well, I think all these things can have a way of, of, of obscuring our view as well as to who Jesus is. And, and though we can answer the question correctly, I think we can often answer who Jesus is out of our head unless fully out of a heart filled in faith and light of who he is. I think one can give the, the answer that they know their they, you know that their parents know him who him to be this and sort of like but it would be like answering well I know the answer to two plus two is four but but it's an answer we can answer with our head but that hasn't tra- changed and transformed us from who we were to who we we're becoming. So we need, need to be clear that this isn't just a question that we all face. This is the most important question any of us face. And it's a question that requires not just a theological understanding, but a, but a life that, that responds to who he is. That this, this isn't just about our head knowledge, but it involves our heart and our will. So we want to look here at others who were asked this question and asking this questions to see what they got right and wrong. So as we face that question with our lives, we will have clarity on the answer. So we're going to look at this through four points this morning, but we have the answer to life's most important question, and point number one is who Jesus is not. Who Jesus is not. Verse 7 through 9 again says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So in verses seven through nine, Herod is confused by who Jesus is. So he's hearing rumors of things like miracles and teaching and what's interesting timing we're going to touch on this later but the interesting timing is this comes directly after the 12 disciples went out for the first time so this is right after verses 1 through 6 where jesus sent out the 12 and said all right you go and you teach about the kingdom of god and you perform miracles in my name and as after his followers were actually teaching about who jesus is that we see herod is starting to hear reports of what what's going on not just through jesus but through sort of all these people who are being affected by jesus And so, likely at the time, Herod's hearing some, probably, you know, not just hearing sort of stuff out there, very likely as first-hand accounts of people that were seeing and hearing things, but as Herod's thinking about Jesus, Herod's scared of a Messiah who will try to overthrow the government, so he's thinking primarily of, who is this guy? Is this guy an active threat to to me and my position? He's scared of a man that can obviously and overwhelmingly stir the masses and that the, the masses of people just love but I think really more than fear, the, the primary question coming from Herod is just this, this confusion of who is this? Well, well, some say John, but he's thinking rightly, well, that can't be. I had John beheaded. Remember when John, you know, he, he, there was this public sin that I'm walking in, and John called it wrong and said, I need to repent. So, you know, I, I cut off his head, so it can't be him, right? Is, is it Elijah? Did he come back? Like, is it some other prophet? Like, who is this guy? So Herod wanted to see. Again, I'm not sure of his motive. It's likely either he wanted a miracle from him or he wanted to kill him. But either way, confusion was just, was clear in, in his response. And just to be clear, in, in the, the people that, that Herod was, was wondering if he was, whether it be John or some, Elijah, you know, the greatest prophet of old or some other prophet, like, like this is like if Jesus was this guy I mean this would be like major major news like this isn't like a small thing oh, maybe he's just you know Elijah come back you know, you know hundreds of years later to come back like that, this would like lead the news in any other day I mean this would you know this is like not like oh, I am trying to minimize who he is Herod's thinking like wow this guy's really something special he might even be one of these guys from the past come back but at the same time we see whoever he was thinking he was was something less than who he truly is Oh, maybe he's a miracle worker. Maybe he's a maybe he's a, a great teacher. Maybe he's a prophet of old. But Herod, at the end of the day, hated Jesus and what he taught. He was ultimately Jesus's enemy. But you don't have to hate Jesus to have him fundamentally wrong. See, if Jesus is anything less than everything him, I- than he is, then you have him completely wrong. See, if you just think, well, he he's a he's a good example. He's he's the greatest example that there ever was? I'll, I'll say, I agree, he is, but that's not even close to who he is. If you just think he, he's a good teacher, you know, the, what, you know, just, you know, the golden rule and all the things he taught about loving your enemies, he's the greatest teacher of all time. I would argue he is the greatest teacher of all time. But that's not even close to who he is. If you think he, he's a godly man, and again, we can go, a- absolutely, he is, he is the godliest man in, in human history, but he is so far, that is so far short of what he is. If you just think, yeah, he, he's, he's a great prophet, again, oh, yes, he is, but that's who he is is so much bigger than the greatest prophet to tell us who God is. Famously, C.S. Lewis says, I'm not trying, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept a, his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And if you... If you get Jesus for anything less than everything he is, even if you think, okay, I got 90% of it right of who he is, just to know you have him wrong 100%. He is all he claims to be and nothing less. And so we must affirm who he truly is, and we must respond appropriately with our lives. So the answer to life's most important question number two is who Jesus is. We has who he isn't. Now, verses 18 through 20, we see who Jesus is. Again, now he is talking. He's after the feeding of the, of, the, of, of the thousands. He is talking with his disciples again in verse 18 through 20. He says, now it happened that he was praying alone. and The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. But then he, he Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So he is not just a moral teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a prophet. He is not just the greatest man ever to live. Now, well, Herod is confused. Peter has arrived with stunning clarity. Yeah. Now, some say John, some say Elijah, some say a prophet. But Jesus presses. In a sense, it doesn't matter who do, you say, who do others say I am. It doesn't matter who others claim me to be. Who do, who do you say Peter, because you, you have to have, I don't really care what sort of the popular opinion is out there and what we, we can all agree on. I, I care, Peter, who do you claim me to be? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the 12, says the Christ of God. Now, at this point, with what's been revealed to them and what they understood, I don't think they saw everything. But they clearly saw the main thing, that Jesus is the Christ of God, that literally that he is the anointed one. That he is the one that since Adam sinned in the garden that God promised would send, that he would send and overthrow the enemy. He is the one that the prophets of, of the Old Testament have been pointing to. He was the one who was coming to reign and rule over all things. That The, the great Messiah that they had hoped for was the one who would be in complete command of everything. The one coming to spread the, king, the news of the kingdom of God to every corner of the earth. And that, that the kingdom, when the anointed one come, the, the, the prophets look to him and said, boy, his kingdom will cover every inch of the earth. And they're saying, that's this one who has now come. The one coming who would not only reign, but bring God's people to rule with him is Christ. And they say, that, that's who you are. He's the one who is able to calm the storm as the creator and sovereign over nature. He's able to forgive sin because he is God himself. He heals diseases. He raises the dead because he is sovereign over all things. He's able to teach like no other because he is the God of all authority. He's able to feed the thousands because he's able to create out of nothing. He is the Messiah. He is the long-promised one. He is the creator. He is the forgiver. He is God himself in human form. He is the one history has been pointing to. He's the one history is being ruled by. He is the one history is bending towards. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Christ. He is, he is fully God, come as a man. He is the one that everything has been pointing to and been waiting for. But almost as if not to, to settle for that, okay, you could tell at this moment they had this sense of, okay, this is who he is. But almost like, now, if you think that's something, that I'm, I'm the Christ, I'm God himself in human form, I'm, I'm, I'm all these things. He wants there to be no mistake, though, that they would understand. See, it'd be easy at that moment, like, well, you're the Christ, you're coming to reign. Oh, then you're gonna, like, okay, aren't you then gonna be, like, overthrow governments? Herod should be scared, right? Because everything's gonna be different the way, you know, we've been looking forward to you, we're looking forward to going to Jerusalem and overthrow, and then we'll go to Rome and overthrow that, right? And it's sort of this idea, but just so you know clearly who I am as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the long, one you've been waiting for, you need to hear what I'm about to do. So the answer to life's most important question, point number three, is what Jesus did. Verse 21 as as the answer that he is the Christ, verse 21 says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So they had clarity. Some of, they had stunning clarity on who Jesus is. Yet at the moment, they had no idea what he was about to do. See, though they saw him rightly as the Messiah, he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting, the one who would lead a Jewish revolt and overthrow earthly powers, or at least he wouldn't unend them yet. He wasn't sort of the one who was going to receive all this glory on earth and, you know, sort of, he, he wasn't that one, he was the one leaving glory to come in humility, to suffer and be rejected, to be killed and then be raised again to new life. See, it's, We just need to note the timing of this and, and just recognize his work in salvation is core to his identity. You cannot know his identity unless you know the work he came to do, and you cannot appreciate his work unless you understand his identity, that he is God himself come as a man to take our curse, to take our place, to take the punishment that we deserve, that he came to conquer as the Christ, to bring life and victory and salvation, but he did this primarily through his suffering and through his death. Now, why, why this command then? Why does he tell them to tell no one, right? Because this, like this, seems, this seems like odd. At the moment they have stunning clarity, at the moment they realize, okay, this is who he is, why, why, why does he command them to tell no one well, the Galilean part of his ministry and, and mission on earth was now done, and now he's, he's beginning through the next several chapters. He is on his way to Jerusalem, where all that he just said must take place. And he's aware that if people knew his identity, they would either try to stop his death, or they would try to, they would try to quicken his death, or whatever it would be. If they knew him as the Messiah, they would look for him to conquer but they would look for him to conquer in a different way, in a military way or a political way or an economic way, rather than the way—the only way we need through his suffering and through his death and resurrection and the new life. So, you see, he is the God of all glory. He is the one promised for thousands of years. He is the only one who could fulfill the law. He is the ruler of all things. He is sovereign over nature, sovereign over death, and he came to suffer and to die. Now, I don't want to assume this morning that there are that everyone already has an understanding of that. I'm not going to spend long on this point, but if there's some who are unsure of the Jesus we read in this book, is he really the, the, the Jesus of history? I mean, it's easy just to say we accept this by faith, and, and be clear we do accept this by faith. But let's also be clear that there, there's many a skeptic and many historian have sought to disprove what Scripture reveals about Jesus Christ, I'll simply say, none have. None have come close. Well, history has only verified the identity and the work of this man. More study has been done on Jesus Christ than any man in history. and Nothing has not only disproven it, nothing has diminished what any, anything in Scripture reveals about Jesus. But if you would have specific questions, and well, why I've heard this, or how, how do we know that? I would, I would love to explore that more with you and talk with you more about that. And before we move on to our, our fourth point, I just want to note something else. This is, again, the most important question that we face. We're going to talk about what, what makes this question so, so important in our next point. But, but just, I just, we just need to acknowledge, God here in his, in his mercy is telling us the question that we need to answer. And not only is he giving us the question, who is Jesus and who do you say that he is, in his mercy... He's giving us the answer. It, it's not hidden from us, right? Like probably most of you had this. I remember a teacher who like in high school would, would like their tests were like hard and they were brutal. I remember one test in particular, like the smart kids got like a C plus, you know what I mean? And so everybody else was sort of falling behind. We're like, oh, of course he's going to, you know, give a, you know, curve. And, you know, they didn't and we're asking for bonuses and all this kind of stuff. And, and we're just like, well, you never, you never told us the answers to the test, you know, and all this kind of stuff, like, what, you know, it says something about us, like, hey, we only want to take the test if you're going to pre-tell us the answers, but, like, there was just this sense of, like, hey, we never went over this in class, I remember, like, just, he was like, they were just like, yeah, if you had read all the material, you would have seen that the answer was somewhere in there, and it was like, okay, I guess I didn't, well, I didn't read any of the material, so that's probably true, but even the smart kids didn't read it, right, but there was this sense of, like, it felt hidden to us, like, what was going to be on the test. It felt hidden to us what the answers were. I just want to be, in his mercy, this is not what God is doing. He's not hiding the answer from us. It's not, okay, okay, Scripture, New Testament's just going to unfold, and if you're, if you're wise enough, you might be able to put all the pieces together as to who Christ is, and if you, if you read it with just the perfect interpretation, you might have some clarity. No, no that's not we either receive it by faith or what he reveals or we reject it out of, out of, out of willfulness. But, but God is clear. Scripture is clear as to who Jesus is. And so God in his mercy does not just tell us the most important question that we face. He lets us know the question. And then he clearly gives us the answer. I hope we see in his mercy that God desires for men and women to not just maybe try to put it all together and get it right. He wants... He wants us to get this right. He wants us to know him in his mercy. He is, he, he is clearly being presented as, 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 as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as, as the God who reigns and rules over all things. And he so desires us to see it. And it's an act of mercy on his part, not just that, he would, that we would know what question is coming and that, 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 that it's there, that, the fact that, we, that he's given us the answer. The fact that we know the answer is because he makes us able to understand it in in his mercy. And so just know that if we reject this answer, it's not because it was unclear. It's because we simply have decided to reject him. It's his mercy that we can see. It's his initiative that we can see. It's his love that we can see him clearly for who he is in a way that we can understand. How that we can see clearly the the God of all glory, the God of all majesty, the God of, of infinite glory, and worth, and transcendent and above us in every way, that we can see who He is. It's an amazing act of mercy. So the answer to life's most important question, then point number four, is this, why is this question so important? Right, there's a lot of important questions again that we face, a lot of questions we we need to answer every day. But you know, the, the, the bigger the question, you know, the more... The answers put everything else into space, right? right? Are, are you, you going to be married? Well, that, that, that question is going to set up a lot of the rest of your life, right? And then who are you going to marry? Well, that's going to set up a lot of other things in your life. And what career are you going to take? Well, that's just going to set up where you live and lifestyle. I mean, there's just so much that goes with that, right? Like all these questions just set up all these other things. Just to be clear, this is the biggest question we face because the, our answer to this, our eternity rests on this. And since eternity is it's just a long, long time having this answer right really matters. To be clear, Scripture clearly teaches that we need to know Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus to be in right relationship with God for all eternity. Scripture says that there's no other name under heaven in which you will be saved. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to God except by Him. So our eternity rests on knowing Him. But so does all the values of this life rest on this. All the other questions that we face, like knowing him is what what sort of sets us on the trajectory to to get all these other things right. We're going to talk more about this next week, but as we see in our next question, his, his death leads to our death and to our life. So getting this question right changes everything, not just in eternity, it changes everything about what we do and what we're about and what we live for here on earth. It's one of those questions, it's one of those understandings that, listen, you you can get a lot wrong in your life, but if you get the answer to this, none of those other things matter. None of those other things override the one thing you get right. I mean, I, I just, I love the story of the thief on the cross who, all we know of his biography is he got everything in his life wrong, except he had clarity on who Jesus was and nothing else mattered and it's one that you can get almost everything else right right you can you can do your 401k right you can do sort of you can get every decision sort of that you you can face you can you can sort of line them up all right but if you get this one wrong none of the other decisions matter if you get this wrong it doesn't matter what else you get right so you just need to know this is the most important question you face for the next life and it is the most important question Being able to determine what you are supposed to be about. What does it mean to live for this life right now? So, it's the most important question for the next life. It's the most important question for this life. And it's not just enough to know the theological answer. One must place their faith. Therefore, because of who I know you to be, therefore I place my trust in you. We must believe not just that He is the Christ of God, He needs, we need to write, and therefore you are my hope. He is, you are, because you are who you say you are, I place my trust and my faith in you. So Simply, if you don't know him personally, know this, this is the question we all face, and it's not just enough to agree with the opinion of others. It's not just to sort of say, yeah, my parents taught me that. I never really rejected that, so I guess I'm good. You must place your faith in who Jesus is and what he did for sinners. Nothing is bigger, and that's the answer we must have clarity on for those that do know him want to give a a couple of thoughts towards application just what i hope are just encouragement towards application for those that do know him number one is this you know the first part of what we read i mentioned this earlier but 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 herod was hearing all these rumors in verse seven about about who he is but what preceded that was in verses one through six for the first time the disciples going without jesus physically and, and telling others about jesus Again, I think the the timing is is interesting and and it's not coincidental that that others are talking about Jesus. And and for the first time, we're seeing Jesus' power not just sort of affect others, but we're seeing Jesus' power through others. And all of a sudden, that starts raising questions in Herod. Wait, wait, wait. Who? Who is this guy? It's not just that he's doing something. It's not just that he's doing something to others. He's doing something... Through others, Oh, this guy's... I need to answer who this guy is. I just want to say this. In your life, no one can argue with the change that Jesus makes and the power that is at work in you and in your life. Listen, you're going to run people that they can answer a question. They can ask a question you can't answer. One can have more academic understanding and, and know know this book better than, than us. But no one can argue with what Jesus did and is doing through me. And so as we share our faith and share the work of Jesus at work and with neighbors and with classmates, I simply say, I never underestimate what God intends to do when we just simply say, yeah, I, I don't know everything, but here's what I do know, and here's what he's doing, and here's what he did. That what, that what for the f- for the first time in a while that, that caused hair to be like, wait, wait, who is this guy? Was what he was doing through others? And that raised questions for them. And so just to recognize that for so many people, the Jesus of history seems so far away, but they can't get past. But he seems to be doing something right now in you. I just want to also say, I think there's some people who, who grew up in the church and maybe younger and just thinking you know, I don't know that I really have this, you know, amazing testimony say this that you know I was I was saved at 19 so I was was saved in college but my my testimony isn't particularly dramatic but every every testimony is is a miracle of God is is someone going from 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 death to life and not just sort of well we we were down and out no no we we were we were we were we were literally spiritually dead we had no life in us and now we are alive but particularly if if you're somebody who is who's saved at at an early age or even as you've grown up, it's like, I don't even remember the moment. I just know that it happened, and it happened somewhere in my childhood, and it doesn't seem that dramatic. Every story is not just a miracle, and, and that's not just a miracle, but but every story, if you're, if you're one in, in that, sort of counted to that, just a note, that's not just sort of an undramatic story. That is the story of God's intergenerational faithfulness to keep his promise from one generation to the next generation to the next generation so you are a testimony of his love and of his mercy, and of him sparing you from so much in your life, and so don't underestimate even, even at a young age, how God will use your testimony and the story of what Jesus has done in you and is doing through you. So let's be those who, in a world that has so much confusion as to who Jesus is, let's be those who are bold to tell. You now this is this is who Jesus is, and this is the effect He's having. Secondly, I would say this. Just, just to note the timing of this as well. As soon as Peter says, you are the Christ, it's like a second doesn't even pass, and Jesus just says, okay, if you get who I am, then you need to be aware of, of what I'm about to do. And he says that he will suffer, that he will die, he will be raised on the third day to show him what he will do. I think it's easy to believe, okay, oh, I'm getting who you are, everything's going to be easy for me now, right? I'm 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 on the side of the Messiah, right? So everything's going to be good right now. Jesus immediately turns from who he is to what he's about to do, in part, to prepare them. Because I I think it's easy to think, okay, God's on my side, Jesus on my side. Okay, I'm with you, everything's going to be okay. Jesus is aware of it. For these disciples, the crisis is coming because they follow him. The one, they cl- the one they followed, the one they claim is about to suffer and is about to die. He is about to be betrayed and denied, even by some right now who are claiming him. And then after Jesus resurrects and then leaves and ascends, the, the men sitting around there were about to suffer some more for proclaiming him. So the crisis that they are about to walk in in their life is real. And Jesus just wants to make it clear, and yet you need to know ahead of time of the crisis, I am still the one. I am still sovereign. I'm still the anointed one. And because I'm the sovereign one, because I'm the anointed one, because I'm the one bending human history, because I'm the one that history is pointing to, I'm the one who will help you endure the crisis and bring you through the crisis and bring purpose to your crisis because I, am, I, will, I, will, I will not only die and I, I, will, I will raise again, I will be alive and I will bring you through the crisis. So just, you don't need me to tell you this, but, but, but if, if you think of faith and it's just like, okay, all the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. And I don't think you really know who he is because the crisis, or we'll or, or, or just say this, when, when the crisis hits, it's going to be disorienting. So we must know who he is in full. He's not just sovereign over history. He is the one, because we follow him, that, that, that the storms will hit, that the, that the persecution will hit, that, that, that storms are going to hit even harder. He is the one who is preparing his people to bring us through it. He is sovereign and he is wise and he is powerful and he is the one who suffers with us and who suffers for us. Third, I would just say this. One, so I, I became a Christian when I, was, when I was 19. In some way, if you were to ask me at a 19-year-old, who, 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 is, who is Christ or who is Jesus, I, I, would, I would have answered, by God's grace, like Peter, yeah, he's the Christ, he's the anointed one. Been following him now for, for twenty-four years. And I would say, you know, the answer's the same. But over time, the the richness of that answer has just grown. And and the, the answer, though though, though though it's the same answer on the test, my understanding of that has just grown m- so much richer and deeper. You know, for seventeen last month it was seventeen years that M and I have been married. In some ways I would say, What what do I if you were to ask me seventeen years ago, what do I love about M? Who is M? I would I would, probably answered in so many of the same ways that I would answer now, and in so many ways you would say, well, that hasn't changed, and I would say, yeah, it hasn't changed, but boy, just the last 17 years that I've gotten to know, her, it's just, it's just better, and it's just sweeter, and there's something about, about loving the same thing and you being the same person, and yet 17 years later, just there's a richness to it because I've gotten to know you day by day and study you day by day and walk with you day by day that though the answer is the same, the answer is also completely different because I just have a completely different understanding and, and, and just appreciation of all these things that we've been able to grow And I would just say if, if you in your relationship with the Lord, you, you're not going to grow unless you grow in your knowledge of who he is. And by growing in knowledge of who he is, it's not that the answer on the test changes, but we need to grow in our understanding of, oh, what's it mean that he is sovereign? What's it mean that he is good? What's it mean that he is wise? What's it mean that he is with me and for me? What are the things we've walked through? What are the things that I have seen him faithful, that he's not just faithful on paper, but he has been faithful to me every day of my life? And so let me just say, to, to grow in Christ, to grow in maturity, to grow in sanctification, we need to grow in our knowledge of God. So we need to keep studying who he is. We need to keep walking with him. We need to keep understanding this book more and more and more. We need to keep studying his attributes more and more and more so that we can grow in our sanctification because at the end of the day, we don't want... Yeah, the answer on the test is going to be the same, but over the years, our appreciation for what that really means needs to, to grow in intensity, and it just has a more transformative effect on who we are. And so if you, if you would honestly examine your heart and just say, yeah, I, you know... I, so long ago, I knew he was the Christ. I know he's still the Christ, but I don't think my appreciation of that has really changed over time. I don't think my understanding of that has really changed over time. Let me, let me encourage you to, to keep studying Christ, to keep getting to know Christ. That, that, that yeah, It's not that the answer changes, but, but the answer becomes sweeter and deeper and it's more transformative in our minds. So we want to keep studying who this Jesus is. So let's be those who place our faith in who Jesus has revealed us is revealed to be that he is the Christ of God, that he is the anointed one from human history, that he is the one who we not, don't, don't just believe in theologically, but he is worth our trust, he is worth our lives, he is worth following each and every day. Let's pray. Father, would you help everyone here to have clear understanding as to who you are? Lord, at the moment where we are asked with our lives of who do we say that you are, Lord, we don't just want to have the answer right theologically. Lord, we want that to lead to a heart that trusts and is in faith in you. Lord, we want to trust you in the moment when our crisis hits. We want to hit you. We want to trust you in the moment where, where something hits us, and we just have an unwavering confidence that you are the ruler, that you are the sovereign, that you are the good God of human history, reigning and ruling not just in general but for us. So Lord, would you give your people much grace to not just know the answer, but to have that answer transform their lives. And Lord, if there's anybody here that is unclear or doesn't know who you are, would you in your mercy just reveal to them, or would you help them to see with stunning clarity the beauty of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.